some of you already turned to Mark, and that was, that was good thinking, but Mark has led us to Habakkuk. So a week off from Mark to focus on one of the themes of the early part of, of the first chapter of Mark, we find in Habakkuk. It's got a lot of K's in it. This, uh, this prophecy of Habakkuk was brought to my mind this week as I was, as, as many of us have been doing, praying a lot for um, the circumstances in, in uh, the Ukraine, and pray, and especially for our brothers and sisters there and, and our brothers and sisters in Christ in Russia as well, the tough, terrible position that they're in in this, in this conflict. And um, a friend of mine and I were talking, and he happened to be watching a, a broadcast of of what was going on in, in Ukraine. And and then, you know how most of the news stations now have little things underneath with another story going on, you know, because we can get so much at once. We, we're great at multitasking and all that. So we're listening to one story and reading about another one. And so... It was the story on the on the screen was was the bombing in Ukraine, and then the bottom part was telling about how our Senate was trying to pass a bill to make it legal for people to abort babies all the way up to the ninth month, and that was the, what they were trying to do right now, and it hit me. I've been calling Putin evil, and I and I, and I thought even Nancy Pelosi called him evil. And I thought. Hey, now there's something we can agree on. And then I read that about us. Because that's not just somebody else. That's us. That's, that's people that we elected. That's people that are representing who we are. And I thought, oh. And then I thought, it's not just our government that's wicked and needs to repent. But it's also us. Instead of praying God's wrath on Putin, which I'm still praying, by the way, we need to inspect ourselves. And Habakkuk comes to mind when we think of these things. Habakkuk, the prophet, living in the same time period as, as Jeremiah during the end of the king, the end of the first kingdom of Israel, you know, there's a kingdom still coming, but as judgment was about to fall on Israel, God shared this burden, this, this weight with Habakkuk chapter one, verse one, the Oracle or burden, the Habakkuk the prophet received, again, this is from God. Here's Habakkuk. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. This was Israel. This was 
what Habakkuk was seeing in his country. This is what he was praying about so desperately for his nation. And God answers, verse 5, Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And here it is. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture, swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at fortified at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. Now Habakkuk again. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment? O rock, you've ordained them to punish? Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent Why the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet for by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food is he to keep on emptying his net destroying nations without mercy so Habakkuk's asking the question wait a minute you're going to use them they're worse than we are Really? After you see how he described his own nation in those first few verses? Are they really? And then in chapter 2, we won't read, read it this morning. In chapter 2, he goes on to show what he's going to do to Babylon. They're, they're going to get theirs. But not until after God has used them to accomplish the judgment that he has appointed on his own people because of their wickedness, because of their rebellion, because of their idolatry, because of their treacherousness, because of their violence. And then he, at the end of chapter 3, it's a short prophecy. At the end of chapter 3, 
starting with verse 16. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. And then he finishes with these instructions for the director of music on my stringed instruments. It's a song that he's been putting together. A dreadful song, but a song with hope and with joy in its conclusion. Because Habakkuk, regardless of how wicked his own nation was, regardless of even the worst wickedness of the nation that was invading them, Habakkuk, because of the work of God in his life and others like him, because he wasn't alone, they were able to rise up above it all and to continue to rejoice in God their Savior. Because in spite of the wickedness surrounding them, they could themselves turn away from that wickedness, confess any of their part in it, turn away as as John the Baptist came preaching that message of repentance, as Jesus preached the message of repentance as he as he entered into the 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 land to to tell them that the kingdom of God was here, and he's as he would say, repent, repent, he says to us, repent. This is a very, very confusing day for us. And I'm not suggesting that that after what happens in Ukraine, then eventually it's going to be on us. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not saying it won't happen. I'm saying it couldn't happen. But I'm not, I'm not making that prophecy here. But what I am saying is this. As we watch wickedness before us, Let's look at ourselves also. Let's make sure that we ourselves as individuals, people within this church, that we ourselves, because that's all, we're the only ones that we can speak for right now. Let's make sure that we ourselves are not part of the problem that God's judging and that God's trying to correct right now. Let's make sure that we're like Habakkuk, that we, because of the work of God in our lives, that we're able to rise above this. We endure it. Habakkuk was going to endure this. You know, when, when the Babylonians finally got there and laid siege to Jerusalem, Habakkuk was going to be personally affected. He wasn't going to be, you know, magically or like, he wasn't going to be taken out like Elijah was or like Enoch was. 
he was going to have to face it. He was going to have to go through it. And we don't know what, what his end was. We don't know if he was killed in the siege or if he was, you know, like Jeremiah, taken, you know, taken captive. And we don't know that. We don't know the end of his story. Well, we do know the end of his story. We know where he is right now. But we need to look to him and the message that God gave him during these days right now as we think about what's going on in the world. And yes, I'm not, as I mentioned, I'm not going to stop saying that what Putin is doing is evil and wicked. And I'm going to pray against him. And I'm going to pray for the, for the deliverance of, of Ukraine. But I also recognize that I don't know exactly what God is doing in this whole deal. I don't know exactly what needs to happen as far as God's concerned in the plan and program that he's, that he's working through. But as I pray for that situation, as we pray for that situation, we also need to pray about our home situation. And we need to pray about our government and its leadership that would at this time fight for the right to kill more babies. That we're even having that debate, that we're even having that discussion in the in the hallowed halls of our government tells you that our halls aren't very, very hallowed. And then we need to pray for them. And then we need to get ready for the next time we get to vote. And we need to remember that stuff. We need to, we need to keep these things in mind. And then as we, as we pray for our government, then again, we need to bring it on home. And make sure that we have risen above this. That we are like, as again, as he puts it so beautifully, in the midst of all the difficulty that they're facing, and that is a tough, tough statement about how bad it is in Israel, where he can say this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Do you know when, when we call God Savior, you know what we're saying about ourselves? We need a Savior. We need a Savior. We need a forgiver. We need someone who's full of mercy and grace and love. And we have that Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need to remember that in the midst of this, of this time of, of prayer and, and, and confusion and evil on our TV screens. We need to look at ourselves. And thank God for his forgiveness and examine ourselves and ask ourselves, are we guilty of any of these crimes against God? Oh, not just the ones that Habakkuk mentioned. How about the ones that Paul mentioned in in 1 Corinthians 10, as Mark was reading? Could we relate to any of those? Did God judge Israel for grumbling? He did. And he says, look at that, Christians. He didn't call us Christians. He used a better term. Look at that, those of you on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. That is quite a statement about us, isn't it? 
We are among those upon whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Uh, Those of us in the church, the body of Christ. Look, he says, look back at what God did to those grumblers. Look back to what God did to those idolaters. Look back at what God did to those sexually immoral people within the camp of God's people. Look back. See what God did. And then he says, so if you think you're standing, remember, he's not talking to the Israelites at this point. He's talking to those upon whom the fulfillment of the ages has come, us. So if you think you're standing, take heed lest you fall. But then he gives us that great encouragement to finish it off. He says, but remember this, no temptation has taken you or come to you except that which is common to man. So you're, you know, sometimes you feel like you're the only one dealing with this particular temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, no, you're not. Every temptation that you're dealing with, lots of other people are dealing with that too. But I want to tell you this, God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you can bear. And he will always provide a way out for you. Always. So it's a great, great statement of encouragement in the midst of a warning. And so we remember as, as his people, as his children, and remember when I, when I address you as his people and his children, that's with the assumption that you've put your trust in Jesus. That this statement that the Apostle Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 10 is really about you, upon whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. You've put your trust in Jesus. You believe in Jesus. Because that's where it, That's what makes all the difference. That's what gives us this hope that Habakkuk had, that he could rise up in the midst of this terrible destruction and judgment that was coming on his nation, that he was able to rise up and rejoice in the Lord and be be joyful in God his Savior. Because God's his Savior, because he recognized his need for a Savior. He needed forgiveness of God in his life. And so Paul gives that same encouragement in 1 Corinthians 10. Look to the Lord for your strength. And in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of strife, in the midst of violence, and all the other things that are going on around us, let's first make sure that we're not a part of it. Let's make sure that we've, that we've turned away from those things. And that means, that means going through our lives and looking. And again, 1 Corinthians 10 and and Habakkuk aren't the only places that tell us of the various sins that we can fall into. Over and over again throughout Scripture, he he reminds us of all these different areas. And all those lists of sins are given to us for a reason. Examine your life through it. Look at that and say, wait a minute, that looks too much like me. I need to repent of that. I need to turn away from that. Lord, help me. That's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Once we put our trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in us to help us turn away from those things and stay away from those things and to recognize the way of escape that God gives us. Remember, he does. He gives us a way out every time we're tempted, no matter what that temptation is. He even provides a way out for the Irishman when he's tempted to become angry. The reason I mentioned that was because a lot of Irish people say, hey, I can't help it. I'm Irish. Or I can't help it for another thing. I'm, I'm Italian. You know? Or I can't help it. 
you know, I'm, I'm this or I'm that. You know, you hear people, they, they have this excuse for whatever their, their thing is. No, we don't have any excuses. Every one of us, no matter what our nationality, no matter what our ethnic background, no matter what our race, no matter what our, our language, we all are tempted and we can all turn away from that temptation with, a, with a, an escape route that God provides. He always provides one. Sometimes it's not a pleasant one. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember those three guys? They were some of the product of this invasion of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. They were taken captive and taken to Babylon. They did well over there. The, the Babylonian captivity was not one of keeping them in refugee camps and, and keeping them you know, in, in, in misery. They were actually assimilated into the, into the culture, and so they could you know, do well, and, and some of the Israelites did well. And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they were, they were men of influence. They were doing great until the king decides to build a statue of himself and have everybody in the kingdom bow down and worship it. Talk about issues as I was talking about with the kids. He had some issues. But he did it nonetheless. And if you didn't bow down to it, you're going to be killed. And so most of the Israelites bowed down to it. These three didn't. God provided a way out for him. It was through a furnace. Remember what they said? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar brought him right up to the furnace and said, look, guys, bow down and worship the statue, would you? Otherwise, I'm throwing you in this furnace. And, and, and then you know what they said? Our God can deliver us from that furnace. But even if he doesn't, we're not bound down. Well, that didn't sit well with Nebuchadnezzar. He, in fact, had him heat the furnace up even hotter. So hot that the guys who threw the three into the furnace died from the heat. But they didn't. Now, they knew, they, they weren't positive that God was going to deliver them. Well, he was going to deliver them. He knew that they, they knew that if they died in that furnace, they were going to be in glory. They were going to have that deliverance. But God decided that day to deliver them now. And Nebuchadnezzar looked in that, far, in that furnace from his distance and said, wait a second. I thought we threw three guys in there. I see four. Now, that's pretty cool. I see four. And see that fourth one in there was leading them through that difficulty, was leading them through that temptation because they were facing the temptation. They could have just kneeled down and, and everything would have been okay. But they didn't. And God provided them a way of escape through that furnace. Now, he didn't allow those flames to, to hurt them that day. Not, not only not to hurt them, not even, and I love that, that Daniel puts it like this, he, he delivered them in such a way that they didn't even smell like fire when they came out of it. We had a fire pit fire last night. And if you get really close to me, I've already had shy. I still smell like that fire. These guys were in it, not around it. They were in it, and they still didn't smell like it. That's how much he delivered them from that. That's how he provided a way of escape for them that day. You think, well, yeah, he's not doing that for me. No, he is. 
one way or another, he will provide a way for us as his people to say no to whatever that temptation might be. But we've got to agree with him that it's wrong. And if we've been doing it or have done it and haven't talked to him about it, as, as I mentioned to the children, as, as my own example, I need to confess to the, to the Lord and to the, you know, the, the judges of the chili cook-off that I, you know, I brought in you know, spiked chili. We need, to, we, need to take it, we need to take it seriously. We need, to, we need to admit that what it is we're dealing with is sin. It's against him and we can't do it. It just makes us a part of this evil structure that we're, a part, that we're in by nature of living here. It makes us a part of what we're praying against to fall into any of these sins. We need to take them serious and say, yes, Lord, I agree with you. This doesn't belong in my life. And I'm taking it out with your help and with the help of the body of Christ and with the help of the renewed mind that we receive as we look into God's word. How are you going to know the things that you're not supposed to be involved in? By listening to the word of God. Not just on Sundays, but making it a a daily practice to find where you fit in this word. And as you go through these sins, like in Habakkuk 1 or in 1 Corinthians 10, like Ephesians 5, you see these sins listed? First Timothy 5. You see, all, there, there are so many places with all these sins listed. When you see those sins, you look at those sins and you say, is that in my life? Am I standing against that? Or am I bowing down to it? And get serious about those things. Use this time of, of, of confusion, this time of violence, this time of wickedness in our world and do some house cleaning in your own life, in my own life so that as we pray for God to deliver us, we don't fit into the the part of the structure that deserves judgment like the rest of the world, like the rest of our country. That we can truly, as, as Habakkuk did, rise up above it, rejoicing in the Lord and being joyful in God our Savior and and enjoying this position. Look at, again, this last part. Enjoying this position where he says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Enjoy that position that God has given us that we can ascend, even in this time of destruction, we can ascend by looking into God's word and seeing what he's doing in us, seeing what he does through us, and seeing where he's taking us to an eternity in his glory where we will praise him and honor him and serve him faithfully and freely and fully forever. Keep our minds on that, even in the midst of days like this. But let's not participate. Let's not be a part of the problem. Let's rise above it as we can do through Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. Let's bow together for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for the peace that we're enjoying 
right here in Alpharetta, Georgia. No tanks, no bombers, no fighters, no bazookas, no bombs, no policemen surrounding our church ready to arrest us for being here or arrest me for leading this. We thank you for all of this peace. Father, we also know there's a, b- a bigger and stronger peace than, than even the, p- the peace of, of not war. We know that our brothers and sisters in Ukraine that are facing tanks and bombs and bombers and bullets and bazookas and helicopters and all of those weapons of destruction, we know that you can give them a peace in the midst of it, that you can help them to rise above it, because they know you, their Savior. They can find joy. We pray that you would give them that this morning. And we pray that you would help them also to examine their own lives in the midst of this terrible time of destruction. And as angry as they are at the Russians and especially at Putin, Help them to also make an examination of their lives and and confess their sins to you and get things right with you so that they aren't a part of anything that would need to be judged or or punished. Then, Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Russia. Some in in the very army that's invading Ukraine. And we pray that you would help them whatever their circumstance, whatever their, their, their situation, that you'd help them to honor you and to serve you and to take time to reflect and to take inventory in their own lives. And then, Father, we pray for Vladimir Putin. We ask that you would open his eyes to the evil that he's doing, the destruction that he's causing, the deaths that are mounting up because of his commands, because of his desires, because of his greed. We pray that you would cause him to to turn those troops back. Or, Father, that you would remove him from that place, from that position of power. But again, Father, as you told Habakkuk, if you're using him, to do something that we don't see then again as the Lord Jesus prayed we pray your will be done not ours and as we pray these things Father we pray for our own country we pray for our president and vice president and and their, their cabinet we pray for both houses of our congress we pray that you would do a work in the hearts of our leaders who are demanding that Putin stop his evil but continuing in their own evil. We pray that you would convict them by your spirit or by, their, by those who are giving them advice, who, who they've allowed into their lives to give them um, advice. We pray that, that they would see their, their sin, that they would see the violence and the greed 
in their own desires, in their own presentations of laws that they want to be brought into our country. And that they would turn away from those things. And that they would recognize their accountability to you to do the right thing according not only to your written word, but also to that word that you've given every one of us that's written on our hearts. That they would be true to that. Or that you'd remove them and give us an opportunity to replace them with people who would honor you. And Father, as we pray for our country and our leaders, we also pray for ourselves. We don't want to be a part of this greedy, selfish, self-serving, rebellious system. And yet we fall prey to these things so often. Your word shows us this morning that we don't have to. You provide a way out for us. So, Father, help us. Whatever our sins are, Father, that we continue to ignore, that we continue to, to just get used to and accept, help us not to accept any of them. Help us to realize that you'll give us the strength that we need and the help that we need to put those things out of our lives. That we might rise up, Father, and rejoice in you and find great strength in the work of your spirit in our lives as you renew us and renew our minds by your word. Father, we pray that you would use our times together on these Sunday mornings and even this afternoon as we, as we spend time enjoying this chili together, that you would use this to strengthen us in our resolve to live life for your glory and not be a part of a, of a, a system of life that deserves judgment. Because, Father, we know that your judgments are true and your judgments are right and you are consistent in it and that you will judge sin. So, Father, help us to rise above together for your glory. And then, Father, for those who who are with us today in in whatever capacity that don't know you, that, that haven't yet received Jesus, help them to realize that the judgments that they're watching on television, the the, the terrible violence that is happening, that these are only temporary things that, Father, you have said that you will judge sin for eternity. Father, help us all to realize that we need to be forgiven of our sins. We need to have our sins taken away from us, and the only one who can do that is the Lord Jesus. Help any of us who haven't yet received him to call out to him to save us today, not to wait till later, till they think about it even more. Father, help them to realize they know enough that Jesus died for them and rose again victorious to give them eternal life if they would receive him. And Father, you tell us in your word that to receive him means to believe in what he has done for them. Help them to do that today. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, our Savior, the one in whom we rejoice and find our strength. Amen.